Thanks for tuning in to MANA, a short daily meditation to feed hungry souls with God's Word. These episodes were prepared by ordained ministers for a radio broadcast called Voice of the Church and are now republished by the Reformed Perspective Foundation, a Canadian charity that applies biblical truth to the issues of our time. Here's today's serving. Good day and welcome back to Voice of the Church. We continue this week our study in the book of Daniel. Having touched last week on Daniel 4, we continue now with the response and results of what happened as God laid hold of Nebuchadnezzar and the results we should see as God lays hold of us. I want to begin with a story, though we study Daniel 4 from Luke 19, the story of a wee little man named Zacchaeus. You may remember something of the story or it may be new to you, but Zacchaeus was a man who was very unpopular in his society. He was known to be a thief, a liar, and a bit of a traitor to the people who lived around him. But this man, Zacchaeus, would be saved by Jesus. If you know the story, you may remember he was very short. And to see Jesus over the heads of those around him, he had to climb a tree, a sycamore tree, as Jesus passed by. But when Jesus saw Zacchaeus in the tree, Jesus came to the tree and said to him, Come down, for today I must stay at your house. When all the people around Jesus heard that he was going to stay at the house of this man, who is a thief and a liar and a traitor to his people, they began to grumble. But Zacchaeus stood up to his full height, whatever that might have been, four, eight, five, two, we're not told. And he said these words, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of all I own to the poor. And if I have stolen anything from anyone, I will repay it four times over. Grace changes us, doesn't it? When Zacchaeus knew that Jesus wanted to come to his home, that Jesus was interested in him, that the Savior loved him, it changed Zacchaeus. He was no longer who he used to be. He began to make up for the things he'd done. He began to care for the poor. Grace changes us. When God lays hold of us by his Son, we are never the same. Last week we saw God begin to humble Nebuchadnezzar. We saw God begin to draw Nebuchadnezzar to himself in Daniel 4. And this week we want to look at the results of that humbling. When God begins to change Nebuchadnezzar, what happens? And we're going to see a few verses here today, and we're going to learn from Nebuchadnezzar how God's grace in our lives should change us. We begin in verse 34 of Daniel 4, where Nebuchadnezzar has been struck to behave like a wild animal. And in verse 34, it changes. He's restored to his sanity. At the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. What's the first thing we see as Nebuchadnezzar is restored from his place of brokenness? What's the first thing we should see when a sinner is led by God's grace to believe in Christ and realize they are loved and they are forgiven? The first thing we should see is worship. The redeemed sinner loves God, and the redeemed sinner praises Him, adores Him, worships Him. As a pastor, I went to seminary. That's a special school where they they give training for pastors. And during my time in studying to become a pastor, I remember a piece of advice I was given. To remember that whenever you're in the pulpit, you cannot impress people with Christ and yourself at the same time. You can impress them with yourself, you can impress them with Christ, but not together. You will either glorify Jesus or you'll glorify yourself, but one and the same thing cannot coexist. 
when it comes to the idea of what happens when we're redeemed. We want to follow the words of John the Baptist who said, He must increase, but I must decrease. We want to make much of God. We want to declare the glory of God. And that means we learn what it is to worship. Worship is a very common occurrence. It's the idea of singing praises to God or or praying to God with thanksgiving and extolling Him, speaking of His greatness in our prayers. It just means to declare the worthiness of God. And if you've been redeemed, if you are a Christian, this is to be part and parcel of who you are. We are to be a people who knows what it is to worship the Most High God. When we come to church, we remember it's not about us. Nebuchadnezzar looked at Babylon and thought it was all focused upon himself. When Nebuchadnezzar is redeemed, he realizes that even Babylon is for the Lord. When we go to church, it's not simply about how comfortable we feel or not simply about how much we gain from the service. We should be gaining from the service. Indeed, if we have the right focus, we always will. But the right focus is that we come to church not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify God. To fix our eyes upon the Savior. And to learn of who He is more and more. We are a people who worships. The second thing we see actually comes earlier in our text. Daniel 4.34 is Nebuchadnezzar's account of what happened to him immediately after he was removed and and saved from being and acting like an animal. But in in Daniel chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, Nebuchadnezzar is telling the people why he's sharing this account with them. And he says these words, Daniel 4, verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. So what happens when Nebuchadnezzar is humbled? What happens when Nebuchadnezzar is led to see the glory of God? He worships God first and foremost, but then he witnesses about God. He declares to the entire world, verse 1, all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. He declares what God has done for him. There's something beautiful about this testimony because it's personal. Verse 2 says, I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. Now, whenever God saves someone, we realize that God has worked for us personally. That God loves us. That Christ died for me. I don't know if you've ever been challenged to read the Bible and sometimes insert your name. God so loved the world and and take out world and put in your name. Whatever that name may be, God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. That if you believe in him, you will not perish but have everlasting life. Salvation is personal and our witness, our testimony of what God has done is personal as well. It speaks of what God has done in all the world, how he sent his son, how he he rent the heavens, how he split the Red Sea. But then it brings it down and says, let me tell you what God has done for my soul. I remember a story of a preacher who spoke of being in a department store. And over the loudspeaker came that announcement if the owner of a red Toyota license plate, AWFH, etc., 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 would please return to the parking lot. You left your lights on. And he said, for everyone in that department store, that message was heard and it came across the loudspeaker and they, they registered that someone was speaking. 
but it didn't really hit home. But for me, he said, for me it hit because that was my car, my license plate. So when everyone else tuned out, I was listening because that message was for me. When God saves someone, he saves them personally. He speaks to our hearts. And when we testify to others, when we know we've been redeemed, we speak of that work of God to the world around us. Let me tell you what God has done for my soul, says the psalmist in Psalm 66, verse 16. Let us not be afraid to witness for Christ. Let's not be afraid to to tell the world of what God has done for us and what God has done that they also may have a chance to come to the Savior and repent of their sins. Let us worship and let us witness. Finally, we want to see that one of the results of God's humbling and one of the results of God's salvation is obedience. This comes in Daniel 4.27. In this passage, Daniel is actually warning King Nebuchadnezzar before Nebuchadnezzar is driven mad. And Daniel loves the king. And so Daniel wants to spare the king from this terrible ordeal that he will have to go through. And he gives these words in Daniel 4.27, Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous, and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel points out to Nebuchadnezzar the way he must travel that he will avoid the humiliation to come. And the way he must travel is a path of repentance and obedience. To break off his sins by being righteous. When God saves us, there's a change in the way we live. Just think of what happens when someone falls in love. Maybe you've had a friend or a a brother, a parent, a, a child, and you've watched them as they fall in love. And suddenly the days are brighter and they smile more and they're humming around the house. Something has happened. And why are they so happy? Because they're thinking of this person they love and they can't wait to be with them or to do something nice for them. Or maybe they bought a little present and they can't wait to see their response when they give it. What happens when God saves a sinner? We fall in love with God. We, we learn what it is to love God. And when you love someone, you want to live for them. You want to honor them. You want to bring joy to them. Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, stop sinning. Be righteous. Do what is good. This is how we respond to God's grace. Not earn God's grace, but respond to it. And the second part comes later in the verse. For Daniel says, not only to break off from your sin by being righteous, but to break off your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. What happens when God saves sinners? The church has historically been known throughout the history of the world to be a place of mercy that cares for the weak, the marginalized, and the oppressed. I remember in my younger years, I was in a Bible study group, and it was made of all the leftovers, all the people that no other group wanted. We were all rejects. And as we gathered together, we found this incredible harmony and unity and love. And our group became perhaps one of the most enviable groups of the church. We were growing in the Lord and serving. Why? Because God had given us a care for each other and we stood together. The church is to care for the oppressed, for the weak, for the marginalized. That is part of the way we show our thanksgiving to God because God cared for us and we were oppressed and we were marginalized. God wants us to know the beauty of his love in Christ, but he also wants us to respond. 
Let us be a people that learns what it is to worship the sovereign God, to give glory to Him, to witness to Him and tell the world what God has done for us and also for them, and also to live lives that obey the Lord, turning away from sin to righteousness and caring for the poor and oppressed. May God help us thus to be a light that points all eyes to the beauty of His Son, our Savior, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.